Hello friends, I'm Joseph and this is Homo Sound. We started Homo Sound and its podcast series with one main intention, to help artists, promoters, record label owners, playlist curators and others in the music industry share their message and views with the world. We hope that you will get inspired by their stories, experiences and work, and that by spending time with them at home, you will also get to know them as people. Without further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Diego, in art, Project Gestalten is a DJ, producer, visual artist and founder of the VRA DJ Diva Ranking and Record Label. Born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, he experienced the freedom and creativity of Berlin and made his city his new home. One of the core members and DJ's residents of the event series Pornceptual, Diego has been traveling the world to share his art and has played alongside Norman Nodge, Monologue, Alenata, Jamaica Souk, the Lady Machine, Amanda Musi, and many others, including during a sweaty and intense pornceptual per boiler room. In this podcast, we chat about why artists should not work for free and rather be picky on where they get involved. We also talk about electronic music and the queer community in Brazil and the origins of Project Gestalten. And we learn the story of Diego who went from opening a giant fun on the dance floor to creating a DJ Diva ranking and record label. We also discuss about racism and homophobia and the white privileges and why it is very important to systematically address these very diffused issues. With this conversation, Diego's work ethic and passion for arts, including visuals, bring to our attention the importance of spending the right energy into carving out ideas into art. Enjoy this chat with Project Gestalten. Uh, Diego, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice. Uh, one, one thing to, to start and, and warming up, like how are you spending these days now that uh, the lockdown is easing up a little bit? Uh, I, I still kind of isolated on my place here. <laughs> I still don't trust the... Um, the, the um, this flexi this flexibility that mm -hmm. the people are are getting with i think it still is a little bit too soon to be raving in parties even though there are a lot of illegal stuff yeah. you know illegal raving happening but i still gonna stay here for a couple more weeks until i <laughs> i know it's safe <laughs> yes yes and it's interesting because every country is kind of uh doing it their their, their own ways and some countries oh, yeah. are like going crazy. Some others are chilled. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, in Brazil right now, the president is kind of shitty. So he's completely ignoring this whole situation. Yeah. And I was actually there when a little bit before the, um, the quarantine started. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I, I got lucky enough to leave and come back to home to Berlin, you know. Wow. Uh, as you know, before everything blew up, because I was already getting a feeling that he he would mess this up. Yeah, yeah. Like t telling from his statements, and he was he was downplaying the whole situation. So yeah, yeah. I feel that <laughs> that would happen, and yeah, yeah, my worst fears came came true. It's it's a shame because it's a I don't know. At least for as far as we know, it's a very dangerous situation. And if you don't take care of these things, it's like at some point you're going to be in very yeah. dangerous situation for the country. Yeah, exactly. And also for an uh, economic standpoint, I think Germany did a good job taking care of freelancer, freelancer workers and 
the uh, artist community so they yeah they uh, allocated a lot of money for for us so it's a very privileged position not to be worrying about like financial uh, financing during this time but yeah in brazil there's no there's i think like 600 reais which is not even i think 100 200 euros like wow for one time off it's not even yeah Yeah. so it's really it's really tough some places it's really tough yes and and that's the thing that we're yeah we're saying just a moment ago which is like every country is a bit going in the wrong way trying to manage the situation as they can some countries germany amazing they're taking care of everyone as much as they can other countries even us like yeah yeah italy which is where i'm originally from it's a yeah, yeah. It, it's it's been a mess for artists for sure. Uh, yeah, actually, I was supposed to uh, when this started. I I had a gig in in Milan in oh. April, and yeah, that's that really I think was the epicenter of the whole the whole um, virus in Europe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really shitty if the, this happened. It was really I was really looking forward yeah. to go back, but yeah, it, it, yes, it is. But, um, Fingers crossed, we're gonna get back to some kind of normality soon. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So talking about a bit of a better, better stuff, uh, yeah. more pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so you you are from Brazil, and as far as I understand, you you were born in uh, uh, and grew up in Sao Paulo. Is that yeah, right? in the suburbs of Sao Paulo actually yeah. would be the same dynamic of you know New York, New York, New Jersey. You know, it's like right. it's kind of Sao Paulo, but it's not Sao Paulo. Yeah, it's called Guarulhos, the city. Guarulhos, yeah. yeah. And how is the music scene there? And uh, the music scene in Brazil comes and goes like the trends. So basically, for instance, in the late nineties, it was all about techno. Mm. And then this died out. And then in the early thousands it was just drum and bass. So all the clubs and all the parties would play drum and bass all around. And then the drum and bass died out after four years, the minimal techno. And then and now techno came back again. So I'm happy wow. right now. So I'm not sure how long it's going to last. I hope it lasts for a, a quite some time. Mm-hmm. But now also I think the, um, the parties are more... The pub, the crowd is more diverse than before, like 20 years ago. You know, you you have the gay parties and the straight parties, and the, you know, there's all, everyone was in their own little um, corner, and now mm. it's a little more blend in. So I really like this. You know, that you have so many people from different walks of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting how you see in different countries uh, there are trends and in different moments and. Like, yeah, London has, has for sure had like different trends at the same time. Germany as well. Yeah, but I think it's funny in Brazil because all the clubs, you know, like in Berlin, there is there is a, a drum and bass club that sometimes plays tech, you know, sometimes play house music in some nights, but they have their specific spots, you know. And in Brazil, is is really, you know, one day the club is playing. This type of music, and then two years later, they're playing a completely different kind. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very weird, but I uh, I like it sometimes. Yeah, it's yeah, it's nice. And so I remember I, I recall I saw in another interview you were talking about a club called Blue Space in Sao Paulo. <laughs> yeah, Blue Space is really um, uh, a club where. 
because uh, the, the gay clubs in Brazil before before it got to commercial, they they were really nice. You know, they're they're really um, playing progressive, the tribal house from New York. You know, from the late nineties. So it was very it's very specific kind of music that was mm -hmm. playing there. And there was a lot of drag shows, you know. I remember at two in the morning, the whole the music stopped, and then there was like the stage, and the drag queens would go and do the show for one one or two hours, and then the music would restart. So and it was like a intersection in in the night. So it was like a proper show. Yes, exactly. Wow. There was a, the music stopped, and then everybody watched the show. And there wow. was some uh, numbers with lip syncs, and there's some numbers. There was just the drag queens coming to the audience and interacting, you know, like a host and making like contests with the, with the people, you know, so it was really, it was really funny. And now they, um, they still going on. I think it's the, one of the oldest gay clubs in Brazil, mm -hmm. but now they are more, you know, the drag queens that they, they call is just from RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, there was, is more, a little bit more commercial mm -hmm. and even the music, in, in gay clubs now, they are more, yeah, they are more what you see, what you hear in the radio. So I don't like so much anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you, so compared to what we have here in in Europe, for instance, Berlin, which is a very free place, and I guess like there's yeah. much more people are more open to to anything. Like the people feel free to do whatever they want to experiment. How is the <laughs> yeah? <laughs> what, what's different in Brazil for people who never been? <laughs> Um, it really, I think it was also a generation thing, you know, my generation of people, there was really not so much room for experimentation in, mm. in any ways <laughs> as possible. And now I feel that the younger generation, they are more open-minded. So, you know, I like that a lot of people, they don't define themselves as straight or gay anymore. And they are more fluid, you know, mm -hmm. and this also happening in Brazil, but not in the same pace as in Europe, because there's yeah. still a lot of um, a lot of behavior rooted on um, on uh, men being mainly, you know, in Brazil, you know, this is a very Latin thing. Yeah. You know, so older older generations wouldn't understand this kind of um, mentality. Yeah. And so and that has certainly an impact on on the music scene, because I guess like I can tell you, Italy is very similar to what you're describing as uh, masculist, if that is even a word. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, mainly, 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 yes. Yeah, and, and it's it's very similar. Where like, like people say they might even tell you, yeah, we're really open. Oh yeah, but yeah. Then they tend not to be. But yeah, but not too open. <laughs> yeah, not too open. Yes, <laughs> which means which means somehow it's it's very. Um, exclusive so they you, you push out some people just because of their sexual orientation and preferences you 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 essentially make them feel excluded from the main scene because they cannot do that in a main club yeah where it would be beautiful yes this is uh, actually the all the talents that i know here in, in berlin they are more open-minded but they move away from <laughs> you know this mentality i guess so it's also with Brazil, you know, there was a lot of people, a lot of Brazilians that they have a different mentality that when they come to Berlin, they, or to Europe for, for that matter, they, they open a little more for open their minds or yeah. became more tolerant. I also met, I think it was a guy from Romania. 
Mm-hmm. And he was telling me he's he's super straight. And then he was telling me that he was actually homophobic in in Romania. And then he moved to Berlin, and now we were making out. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's not. It doesn't mean that he's gay. He's just making out. You know. Yeah. But then then he saw a girl. Okay, that's you gotta kiss yeah. her too. Yeah. Okay, go there. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think big part of that is that Berlin is that is similar to London, where you are you feel you are allowed to be free. Then you're like. I don't need to to get uh, to uh, get stuck in my own ideas. You change yeah, your mind. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And even with me as well, you know, I'm gay, but you know, there's occasional, you know, if I is the right mood, I I also make out with girls too, and, and yeah. that happens a lot of times. And I think being in Berlin changed a lot of my mentality towards that as well. Yeah, you know, and even the way that I express myself uh, when I move here, I will feel I was feeling uncomfortable like wearing makeup or painting my nails and this is something that you know if i go to a club i cannot i feel naked if i don't put some eyeshadow in my you know in my face or something so you know also help me open my mind to you know gender stereotypes yes all of this yeah yeah and and so when when you were so you moved from brazil directly to berlin when you were in brazil no 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 i i did um i actually, I, I did my, um, after I finished my university, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a major in visual arts. I start working on cruise ships. So I was all around the world for 40 years. How interesting. Wow. Yeah. So I was a photographer and then I, I became a videographer and then yeah. I was promoted to the head of digital management. And yeah, I had a lot of spare time. So I did a lot of music inside my cabin. I have a private cabin, so I have a lot of privileges inside there. And it was a really good time to, was actually when I start saving money to mm-hmm. move to Europe. Got and it. it's a very nice situation where you don't need to pay rent, you don't need to pay for food, you don't need to pay for basically anything. And you get your, your salary in cash and there's no taxes because the company wow. was... American company, but the ship was registered on Bahamas, which is a duty free. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they have this loophole, you know, in the. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, you get paid in cash and dollars, you know, all the time. So it's pretty cool. It was, so that's how I make money to move. And wow. actually, I was, actually, I was, my plan was to do my master's in London. Yeah. And yeah, and I was just, doing the um, the budget and i could see right away that i would my money would not last in london it's way too expensive and um, my yeah. masters i want to go to this really fancy school called central st martins oh yes a really I yeah, know it, yeah so yeah, <laughs> yeah of fashion course school. you know it's exactly yeah. not not the fashion school there's the london fashion school there's all a part of conglomerate of the universe arts london yeah but for international students not from europe no European students is twelve thousand pounds just to study to one year, and, yeah, yeah, and for uh, to um, local to uh, European students, the half uh, half of this, so around five six thousand pounds, yeah, and then the cost of living, everything. I said no, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to last. And then I be, I was in Berlin for a while, and then I really felt comfortable. And then I research uh, about some schools there. And then when I realized that I could do my master's there for free, it's just, <laughs> okay, I'm moving to Berlin. That, that's it. Sorry. 
Yeah. So yeah. So there's and that's how I moved to Berlin. I came there. Yeah. After Got my it. my cruise ship. Yeah. <laughs> so so Berlin, you start a new adventure. And I was reading in another interview that you you said you felt you found your mothership. You found your your home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it was really. Um, Uh, the vibes I, I feel like in London I, I've been to London um, after I decided to move to Berlin I, I never been to London before and then mm. I, I I still have I still didn't move to Berlin yet but I I came to London for uh, two visits and I really felt I made the right decision because I felt London was really uh, very similar to Sao Paulo the vibes it was mm. like people running Everybody is just running. Everybody is really, you know, they're not, it's very, it's not laid back, you know, and that's no. what I, I felt in Berlin. You see people in the parks, you know, in the middle of the week, you know, smoking a joy, you know, three in the morning, you know, weekday, nobody <laughs> cares, you know, so it was really a very more laid back. There was much more nature. There was much more. Yeah, even the the sound the sound um, pollution it was way less than you know for for a big cosmopolitan city. It was still very it was very um, you know freeing for me. And then also the the nightlife play a huge part of my decision as well. Yes, you know yeah. actually my my uh, my plan A was to come here and do my masters and then apply for um, a job in my area. And then being a GJ was my plan B, but I found a little bit cliche to be a GJ and move to Berlin to try to make it as a GJ. You know, I think it's quite similar to being an actor and going to moving Hollywood. to Hollywood. And, ah, then you yes. don't, and you don't make it because there are like a thousand <laughs> people per square inch, you know, trying to, yes. trying to make it. And then you just don't. So it was very organic for me. Like I was not really trying hard. And, but, It happens, you know, just happened. My career happened. And then mm -hmm. my plan B sort of became my plan A. And I could apply for a visa just being a GJ, being mm -hmm. an artist visa with no, not, um, with no um, master's degree or anything. So, yeah, I was, yeah. that's how I end up here. Yeah, not, not bad as plan B. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And and so things worked out. It seemed that you were you were you were happy there, and so you found you found a place where which felt like great for you. And what what changed in the music scene since then? So you moved there. What year was that when you were? Two thousand and thirteen. Thirteen. So seven years ago. Yeah. How much has changed in the music industry? And is there something that you liked before, and then you now it's like has changed in a bad way? Um, I don't know. I just I don't like to reminisce so much because mm. I feel when I when we were in 2013, people were like, "Oh yeah, this place was so much better five <laughs> years before." Then five years before, oh my God, Berlin was so much better. You know, in the 90s, in the, yeah. the 90s, yeah. And then we were in the 90s. Oh my God, Berlin was so much better in the 80s. You know, when they were, uh, before they were all uh, collapsed. <laughs> you know, because we have the East Berlin, David Bowie, all this shit, blah blah blah. And then we go back. <laughs> And back and back and then you know people don't like to live in the moment and that that's mm. really concerns me so i really try to savor the moment a lot of yeah. course there are a lot of things that change you know in regards to gentrification for instance and a lot of people with money moving to berlin because yeah. i feel there was this huge um, immigration problem 
four years ago, three years ago, you know, with um, with the Syrian war and stuff, and people were really concerned immigrants moving to Berlin or moving to Germany or Europe for that matter. And I don't really feel threatened by that. I think the, um, the my real concern is when people with money move to places because they want to come here and they want to impose their lifestyle and the, the way they yeah. they live in on a place that is not supposed to be lived this way, you know? So they want to mm. come here and tear, tear down the... Um, nice buildings and and build a really fancy fancy apartments to really expensive hipsters coming here so it's really yeah i I don't know so that that was my that was the thing that i noticed yeah yeah uh it resonates a lot also with london which is unfortunately it's a city that continues to change that way and it's harder and harder for people to live especially artists yeah for sure it's really um uh, yes, especially with the cost of living that is, you know, that London is. You know, you, I'm, I was reading this article. It was basically a one square meter, like a closet. The, the guy was living as an apartment, you know, and pay almost seven hundred pounds, you know, to live in this really shitty place in the in really central London. But yeah, it's really <laughs> for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, it it's crazy sometimes. Like you you see stuff uh, or rooms that are being rented out to just like uh, especially like uh, I don't know like a shed a, to- a corner of a room and they yeah, rent it exactly. out for like six hundred pounds. Like yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one thing that I I, I want to talk about your bra uh, uh, ranking a yeah. bit. <laughs> Before that, there was uh, one thing that I read. So I I. You started this thing in 2015, which is a ranking, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about that. But I think I, I noticed in your introduction there was a change because you started introducing the project in 2015. In 2019, you started mentioning about uh, a bit of a weird situation you you were feeling in Berlin, where there is seems that there is more like microaggression. There is not respect so much for um, the queer scene, and you feel like this thing is a bit affecting the way you live the nightlife. Uh, yeah, I think um, things with AFD, which is a, a far-right uh, political group right. that came to power recently, I think people are, are getting a little more, they're not more afraid to tell, you know, what they think about immigrants, about queer people. So you can you see a rise of people queer people getting attacked in public spaces you mm-hmm. see a rise of people getting disrespect not only in public space but also in clubs you know by by um security or by other other party goers so for me i i don't want to get into specifics into mm-hmm. my situation but i feel that not only Berlin, but I think in Europe as a whole, you know, there was, um, yeah, there's a trend of people getting harassed by those really far right people. Mm. And yeah, it was, it's was, it was really sad. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like white people can get away a lot, you know, with things. And and they're, sometimes they're not completely... Um, uh, like people of color or m- maybe they are in a situation they're not completely right but also i think there are ways to handle situations you know you don't need to be so aggressive if you get into a discussion with someone or yeah. 
you know, there's a way to de-escalate the situation without, you yeah, know, resort to physical abuse or. Yeah, I, I well, there, there's so much to say about that. I mean, I think that there is a, the, one of the underlying problems is that I guess there might be a lot part of the population in countries like Germany, uh, England, Italy that is not happy, is not living in a comfortable situation. And far right parties are usually very good at uh, riding the wave of hate and channeling yes. over the minorities or scapegoats, right? Yeah, to for find sure. an enemy. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if they cannot find a job, it's not because they didn't go to uh, they apply themselves, they didn't go to school. It's because you know they are immigrant here then with no language skills, they basically can steal your jobs, you know. And this is really it's very easy to blame someone else for your failures, I guess. Yeah. So people get is afraid. Yeah. P people uh, like, it's easier to yeah, it's easier to blame on someone else and like not take responsibility. Yeah, exactly. And also capitalize on their fear, you know, self-preservation. Yeah. And then this is how, you know, bad things can happen. Yes. And in a way, like something that I, I started thinking more about, uh, I started being more aware of since the last events with George Floyd uh, in in US, is that a lot of uh, the problem is on white people who don't consider themselves racist. And I'm part of that in a way. Because we don't see that this is a problem for others. So we think that that is not a problem. So when then someone comes to us and say, hey, there's been someone who is harassing me, we tend to dismiss it being like, no, you know, it's impossible. It's London. Come on. Nobody would do that because we yes. never saw it with our eyes. We don't perceive it. Yeah, exactly. I remember I was in an airport once and uh, I was traveling with another DJ for a gig and we are going to the same place. And then I get after the security check, I got randomly picked by the security for a more through search and that, that was realized yeah i never i never experienced this before you know it was really not, not me like my friends say oh yeah i don't think i ever got stopped in the airport say oh really yeah <laughs> how, how does that feel like you know so yeah yeah it, it i think Part part of the like a way we can we can face the problem is also to talk very openly about that and, and mobilizing for what we can to try to see the problem more and address it, create a structural yeah. way for people not to do that. Yeah, so I think it's it's really good when you are aware of your privileges and then you have allies. You know, even if you don't experience racism or xenophobia or homophobia yourself, you can you know, have empathy and, you know, be self-aware of your, you yeah. know, surroundings. And, and help people who might feel that way instead of dismissing because we don't see that that is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I, yeah. Listen to them. And yeah. And okay. So talking about your bra <laughs> ranking. So that, that was a project that started in 2015, right? So Eniza ranking how would you describe it for people who don't know it um actually the, my list was uh, a reflection of those end of the year lists i found huh. really all the same people all the um, you know the same pr pr people or djs artists <laughs> and i kind of was really fed up with this and then i started to do my own lists where i ranking uh, as opposed to ranking them, their the quality as a GJ or as an artist, I was ranking them how how well they can open my fan 
which I have a Chinese <laughs> well, Aishi fan, and then I rate, I rate their their skills opening the fan, and then when you open, it makes the sound vra. I wish wow. I have here, is that I cannot find here, but yeah, it's someplace <laughs> there. But yeah, so this um, and so. Oh, go, 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 go. No, go, go ahead, go ahead. No, it's basically my experience with my personal experience with the GJs, and then it kind of um, extrapolated beyond the, their op- fan opening skills, and then it was just basically weird stories, personal stories <laughs> with me, you know? It was not really um, more about what they... It's just about some anecdotes that I, I have with them. So, yeah, yeah so th- that was the whole reason why I did... Uh, the list but of course the i have an ulterior motive to do it because i want to do my label which is also named vra right it's yeah. a queer label focused on techno music but and i i want to have this engagement with the crowd before i release the the label so i did the list for a couple of years and then i released my label I, I, some years later so yeah so that was all planned out like this <laughs> got it yes yes and and the one of the interesting things. So what was one unintended consequence that happened after that? Something very good that you were like, wow, and um amazed that this thing just happened. <laughs> yeah, so um yeah, there are a lot of people who come up to me, you know, in uh in clubs or the GJs and you know, yeah, where where can I be on your on your, <laughs> on your list? But I'm, I for me, the, the the biggest shockwave for me was when I was trying to rank surgeon, and he 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 really sucked. He really really sucked. Open the fence. So I was really disappointed <laughs> with him. But then he he made it to my list because later on in the same day we were in Berkheim. I remember, and I I rate him, and he was really he was really bad at it. And then we were having an ice cream, you know, in the ice bar. Yeah. And he was, sh- and we're talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. And then he, out of nowhere, he just say, "Oh, I love RuPaul's Drag Race." You know, I, I have here. The, and then he takes his phone out. And then, oh yeah, I went to a bar here, in a gay bar, to see Milk and Tammy Brown performing. They're like really famous drag queens, but they're uh-huh. really. Uh, on the early season so you really need to be a drag race fan to <laughs> know this shit and he actually took a picture picture with those drag queens wow you know he, he made he made a break being a techno god and <laughs> just went to this local pub you know in birgeman i think it was the local gay bar just to <laughs> watch them perform you know those drag queens perform so i find wow. really to me, that's really unexpected for me. It was really so that's why he made his way to my ranking. Wow, so yes. that was my <laughs> and, and so and tell me more about the your your fun. Is that a very big black fun? Is that right? Uh, like a... <laughs> actually now now is white. I, I have <laughs> a white one because I, I have a, a wedding dress. I perform in a wearing a wedding dress. Yeah. So so now it goes more with my with my uh, outfit. outfit. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, it's like a Tai Chi fan. It's like a Chinese one. And then this is actually a reference from drag queens in Brazil. Mm-hmm. You know, in Brazil, they use this fan because it's a tropical country and they have all, all this makeup and they are in the clubs. So right. they need this fan to fan themselves so their makeup doesn't melt. So yeah. this is a very big in Brazil, this, those fans. 
and kind of got co-opted by the gay scene. Yeah. And then I, I, there's a Asian quarter in Sao Paulo that the only place that I can find the, the, the size that I want. Yeah. You can find, you can find Asian shops here, but they are a little more smaller, but there is the only place that I can find the, the nice, the, <laughs> the, the big size. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the the one that you can put in a wall. You can still manage with your hands. Yeah, but yeah, I would say it's like thirty-two uh, centimeters. You know the wow, the length. Yeah, yeah. It, I almost have a flashback of someone. It might be you, a burkine with a yeah, huge. So, it yeah, was so you. It was me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> wow. I still remember that because one of my best friends has a lot of fans. He's, um, he's a fashion stylist who used to live in London. Now he's in uh, traveling the world, but uh, called Benas Bar, and he, he loves fans. And I remember we always told him, you know, one time we we're in Berkeley, and this guy puts up this huge fan. You can't believe it. It was huge in Berkeley. And He was like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't believe that. I never seen that thing happen. And yeah, I think it was, was you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Any, and it happens a lot. Yeah, that happens a lot. Wow. I mean, you know, I'm in New York and then I, I was in a record shop and then a guy, oh my God, you're the guy in the wedding dress in Berkeley, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That, that is certainly like an unintended consequence of like, oh, okay, that is like, yeah, so we as Epify right now, you know, live, you know, this was a unintended consequence, you know, consequence, you know, you you knew me, yeah, before you knew me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, okay, interesting stuff. And okay, so the Diego's socks theory, tell us a bit more about that. I I, I watched the the um, <laughs> description in one of your bra rankings. Yeah, there was um, yeah, Dex. Dex J, he play in the um, snacks party, which is a party in Berkheim that you can, uh, there's only, men only. Mm-hmm. It's only one, two, twice a year. And then he played there and then he messaged me, asking me for some fashion tips because it was like a sport themes, a sport uh, theme nights. And he, he did, it was not, unsure, he was a little bit unsure what to wear. And then I recommended him some sport shops that he can get vintage clothing and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And then he came really nice. He looks like a so- soccer player, <laughs> but he was wearing the only thing that was really not good on his uh, outfit is that he was wearing this really um, uh, low cut uh, socks that you that um, is very straight for me, you know. But only works if the if the guy is wearing shorts, you know. Yeah. If they're straight, they uh, they don't like to show the socks they're wearing. They're like, oh, you know, I'm straight. Oh, I don't want to wear this. Uh, I don't want to wear socks. So they, you wear this with low-cut uh, socks. Mm-hmm. And if you're a little bit uh, and it progresses how how long is the socks, then would be how gay you are. So if you wear those long, really long football socks, you're like super gay. If you're in the middle, you're in between, bisexual. If you're a little bit lower, you are straight, but you win it kick a, um, a guy out of bed, you know, so <laughs> it was basically like this. So <laughs> it's not um, real science, but yeah, mm-hmm. it works. It really works, but, yes. Uh, yeah, I think it's a mentality. It's not really that you are straight, you are gay, you're, you know, it's how you feel like, you know, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, I'm going I'm to pay more attention to uh, people's thoughts yes. now. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that's, that is a quite telling. <laughs> yeah, I'm really patient. Sometimes I just see seven hot guys and they are still not in the socks length that I want. So yeah, I need to be patient. Yeah, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna come one day. You you need to. Yeah, <laughs> you, you could write a, like a a mini book on the theory. And I was saying, yeah, maybe if you write a book about it. Huh? <laughs> but yeah, maybe I want to write uh, um, maybe a memoir, but I'm too young for that. Maybe <laughs> in 30 years from now, I spill out the tea. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, and so Vra, that became, your, from your ranking, you, you mentioned before, you started also a label. Yes. And so and I remember. So you released one one EP with the uh, He Bleed stories. That was the title of, the, of your EP. What's the plan with the label? How's been progressing? How are you thinking about it? Yeah. So the label is actually um, my main goal was to contrast different genders, gender point of views. So it's to have this dichotomy of um, male or female and what's the perspective of what this should sound like. So every time I have a female perspective and a masculine perspective on the mm. same release. So in this case, I have the original tracks made by me and then I have a remix by IY, which, yep. is, uh, which was a duo. Now they are disbanded. Uh, yeah, Irakli yeah, and um, Jakob but yeah. they disbanded now. Yeah. And then I have uh, Anya Zauber, which is the female perspective and how this which should sound like. And also I have two different identities as well. Okay. Uh, I have a Mayo, Mask- uh, um, Mayo project, which is the Project Gestalten. And then I have the, my female uh, project, which is called the Princess of Death. Princess but of Death, okay. Yeah, you never heard because I really shy with this... Um, with this um, promotion, I don't make promotion. I don't do anything, but um, I just released a digital uh, EP on my label. This actually was the first uh, release, mm-hmm. which um, was only di- digital only. And with this right. feminine perspective, I make more sounds associated with masculinity. You know, so it's more industrial rough sounds. Got it. Using my female perspective. And then with my masculine perspective, I use more melodic sounds that are more associated with matriarchy. So that's, and that's the whole point of my label as well, is to contrast those gender point of views. Yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. And now I'm working on my album, um, but it's not that I want to um, have the, my both aliases on the same release, but I still... So uh, I need some more time to take the whole concept. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Albums are, are, yeah, they tend to take a lot of time because, of course, you want to make it uh, right. Yeah, but it's a concept album which is um, rooted on a video game from the nineties, a really a vintage game that is one of my favorites called Gabriel Knights. Gabriel Knights. Yeah, and I really like this game because you also play as a as Gabriel Knight, and also you play as his assistant, uh, Grace. So you play ah. as a man and as a woman. Wow. And also the, the game was made by a woman, which is really uh, interesting for me because the, the game was based, is, this part is more associated with uh, uh, patriarchy. And she, she's doing this. And then her husband did the music. 
which is associated with like an emotive with with femininity so that's why i want to use this base this game on got it and is a is a game so what's the name again of the game i don't know hebrew nights yeah there, there's actually three three uh three parts and the part that i will use is called the beast within the beast within wow yeah it's a point and click game and it's actually a movie it's, we, we make it with real actors and yeah. you yeah it's one it's my favorite game of all time <laughs> wow okay and that's so that was it's um what kind of game is that is that like a an adventure game yeah it's an adventure game and also you need to go to um it actually takes place in germany which is also in munich and it's a point and click game and you go and you find clues and talk with people and they they give you they give you information and then you need to you come to other people, ask the right questions, and then you progress throughout the game. So yeah, like, then in the end, yeah, yeah, in the end you find um, lost Wagner opera. You know, it's really, wow. really crazy. It's really, really crazy. And then there's also this whole story with King Ludwig of Bavaria, and and it's really, uh, yeah. So it's like it's set in like ancient times, and and you are no, no. It's actually set in those times in okay. in, um, in the 90s, actually. No, is <laughs> maybe ancient times now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way, yes. Yeah, but and then you you have uh, flashbacks, you know. And then the story kind of you you are uh, hunting. Um, there, there's like been murders, you know. About um, there was a werewolf that people suspect is a werewolf. And this guy, Gabriel Knight, he's, um, he descends from this long line of uh, witch hunters, you know, like the yeah, yeah. Sh- shadow hunters. And, they, and he starts to investigate this case if there's a supernatural uh, nature. And yeah, so I don't want to give it away. The, all the, okay, <laughs> I don't want to spoil the... <laughs> the game and the concept of the, of the album. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so talking about more your, of your production, you started making music in 2003 and you were also interested in audio and visual. I, I, heard a bit of, like, I read a bit of in an interview where you were thinking you love the audio part and you love the visual part. And at some point you were thinking, oh, I, I would need at some point to choose between one and the other. But you figured out that actually you can combine them. What is the, do you think that this is a perceived limitation that some people might have when they think about their art? Yes, yes. Yeah. I think it was only in my head this this separation. You know, I was really it was stupid, but yeah. <laughs> but the the um, the areas that I chose they complement each other. So I really use my uh, graphic visual skills within my work as uh, artist, as a DJ, as a musician, and also I use my uh, my music skills you know in my work with video and stuff so but yeah when i did my final graduation project where i i combined the b- both things mm-hmm. i really that was i really click something that clicked in my mind that i don't have to choose you know but yeah it was really um i think in the college um it was really good to conceptualize my work and to, I have a lot of theoretical classes yeah so that that's one thing that I you cannot get on a YouTube tutorial you know you can find you can 
learn yeah. all the skills like in Photoshop and all those graphic softwares. But to those theoretical, this theoretical work, you really need to be in class. You need to discuss. You need to read books and all this stuff. So for me, it was really a, it was priceless. You know this kind of knowledge. So I apply a lot of concepts of social anthropology of um, psychology of perception and mm -hmm. all of this in my work as an artist yeah there was a uh, one video from your vimeo which i think it was uh, it was kind of a you, you you took some advertising from um german sausage uh, it was a brazilian like, a brazilian sausage commercial yeah <laughs> yeah commercial and uh, i think you you, you flipped it uh, and it goes very fast like there are some intersection very fast of uh, um a pig farms, yeah, pig dying. No, it's, it was just uh, yeah, and there's not really um, if you if you watch this video, there's not really so much strong um, graphic scenes, but you can hear the pig dying, you know, and that's really what makes the video strong and kind of uncomfortable to watch, mm. it's because you have this really happy uh, sausage commercial, yeah. Oh, this is so nice. Oh, uh, my family is baking here. They're all happy making barbecue in the yard. And then you have this really graphic video, but you don't really see what's happening in the video, but you can hear the, the, the animal being killed. So that was the, yeah, but this, uh, this is all experimental work. It's not really, yeah. I didn't get commissioned to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, oh yeah, it's experimental work. And, do you think that like people who are approaching work in general, like, or let's say, let's put it this way, their own art, they struggle with limitations. So sometimes their head is like saying, oh, maybe this is not going to work, so I'm not going to do it. Or people are not going to like it. I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah, I think you, um, you, you really need to um, think about what, what you're going to do and you need to um, be sure. That's why I told you that you know being having a um going to college having the a bachelor's degree in this in, in visual arts really helped me to be mm. confident about my work you know because when you don't have those theoretical um basis it's very it's very easy to question yourself you know right. because you don't have any references you don't have your you can do a lot of nice work, don't get me wrong. You can really do a lot of really nice work, but also I think you need the theoretical side to stand by it. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a bit of more confidence because you, you like, it is yeah. someone else who's, who's been there and I learned from them. Yeah, but and then it doesn't mean that everything that you be is gonna, they're gonna make is gonna be amazing. You know, you can, also have a lot of <laughs> setbacks and a lot of ideas that doesn't uh, work which happens to me a lot of times so yeah it's really part of yeah. failure is part of life you know <laughs> yeah in, indeed it is and so i have few few questions that i want to ask around this around your own work which is one is when you have creative blocks when you feel that things are not working the way you want it like is there a way for you to overcome these blocks and get going? Um, usually when I have uh, blocks, I um, make bootleg remixes, <laughs> you know, because when you do a remix, there's already some 
restraints in the music that you need to obey. You need to obey the key or you need to the tempo, the structure of the music. So for me, it's really nice to get inspired. Sometimes I do a remix and I really like the loop. So I just remove the 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 um, original parts and then I mm -hmm. just make a new track out of this, you know, because I don't want to waste it on a bootleg remix when I can release an original track on my own with no without the, those parts that were made by another person, you know, so you can yeah. just remove and then just use this as a blueprint for your own work. So that's one, one way that I overcome yeah. this. Yes. And, and so is there, are there like tools or strategies that you use to sit down and create music? For example, yeah. do you think about a concept before and then you make music or it's more like you would make music and then you shape a concept around that? Yeah, it depends of the, of the work. Sometimes mm -hmm. I have a, um, an idea in my mind. Sometimes I just, it's random. Sometimes I can stay months and months without doing anything. Sometimes I can do a tr four tracks in a week. So it's really depends, you know, for instance, on my, on the EP, he bleeds the stories. Yeah. The whole concept of this was um, actually the title came from, from this, from this book is a graphic novel called mouse and then it's about the, um, the how his father survived the holocaust in the in the whole nazi germany and he paints the um, the jews he's, he's a he's a jew his father is jew jewish and he um, he draw he draws the jew people as uh, rats the, right. the nazi as cats and the americans as dogs and it's wow. really it's a very dark and very dark and weird concept. And the first is divided in two chapters. And the first one is called My Father Bleeds History. And I really found this really very interesting. You know, interesting. And the tracks, the, 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 the track itself is basically different parts of different, different tracks of mine from the past that I just... Wow combined all together so that was the whole uh, the whole concept of having different elements bleeding into each other so that that's the reason i kind of I sample myself you know like an, i stole yeah. from myself wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the so in that then i have different concepts sometimes it's pretty random sometimes i just having a session and mm -hmm. i get inspired sometimes i have a very clear concept sure like uh, concepts in my mind is it really depends yeah yeah and, and so your your the name you chose your first alias project gestalten it's a uh, it means construction project essentially and is that correct yeah. like uh, is that what yeah 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 actually but there's also a second meaning to it you mm -hmm. know it's actually based on the gestalt psychology Mm. which means the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Wow. And this is actually a concept that I learned in my university, in my uh, psychology of perception school. And uh, the meaning behind this, because I have different mediums, I have video, I graphic design and music. And the way to understand me, you cannot really, see, you can you need to see the whole right. picture and not see specific parts of my personality. So this is how this applies on my work. So that was the, the concept behind the name. But also I 
know that this um, is this word is a German word, and then it's going to be translated also as a construction project, and then also yeah, constructing. So makes yeah, sense. So, yeah, yeah, it goes both ways. Yeah, is there is there a way that you so you have different form outlets forms of art? How do you make them consistent with your message? Because the struggle might be that like at some point when you put out two things, they might look too distant. Yeah, actually the thing is I'm not doing so much video, for instance. I think in Berlin, is not you cannot really make money or survive as an artist like doing videos. We need to have the right connections. I think it's the same with, with DJing, so, but I am part of the scene, so I have the connections and I don't have those connections in the art world. So for me, what I, where I apply design is when I do the... Um, the artwork for my label. I designed the logo, the visual identity. I just I designed the um, cover. Not the whole. The, the the cover for my EP is actually drawn by different artists, but I do the final art direction. They, they right. send me the the drawings in black and white, and then I put color. I do the whole the whole design of the, the layouts. So this is how I use my visual uh, side, you know, when I want to apply in a very artistic way in my own work. But it's very hard to have like a secondary outlets for, you know, video and all this. And actually, I want to do a project where I combine sound and video at the same time. Yeah. But I'm not sure I am mature enough for this at this point. So I think mm. it's something that I might want to revisit later on in my life. Yeah. When you say mature enough, meaning uh, technically able no, to? Not so much technically. I think it's mostly um, with the concepts, you know, mm. because it's very easy to do something pretty random. And I yeah. don't want to do this. You know, I want yes. to have a meaning. I want to have something really. And this is what I was saying earlier. You know, you need to really conceptualize your idea. You need to really be, feel confident what, in what are you doing. And I don't think I am in this level at this point yet. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And talking about like you touched on this before, which is uh, it, as an artist, sometimes it can be really hard to make it financially. Even in a city like Berlin, where art is, is supported by the government, there's a lot of like a lot of people are, art, are artists. Yes. And then you, you go to an art gallery and maybe they are, asking for internships and they don't pay anything. They, they don't know. No. Pay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that, that was actually what put me down, you know, cause I really don't want to work for free, you know, wow. internships. I don't care. The only work that I did for free on, on this level was, uh, I did a part, I was part of the video installation that was, um, that was made by Lars Van Trier, hmm. which is a really big, Danish uh, movie director who does and, who shoots naked, right? Is, is, that is the guy, right? Yes, uh, yeah, Nifomaniac. You're, yep. you're talking about, yeah. But he has a lot of works, and yes, I did this project because it was a very, you know, a, a very high profile artist. But even then, it was something that I wouldn't, I didn't have to put so much work into it. It's not something that I have to dedicate months and months of my life. I did in one day and then I submit. So it was not really something that took a lot of my time. It was not something that, you know, I have to be there all the time working. You know, this was in the context of the Copenhagen Art Festival. Mm. 
Beautiful. And yeah. Yeah, so I was just, I was there for the premiere. It was really fun. I met a lot of other people who also, it was a collabor collaborative project with a lot of different artists. And yeah, it was really fun and really nice to be there and be part of this. Yeah. And so talking about like the, the, this problem of like, unfortunately, arts in most cases uh, don't make enough money. So the art gallery, to some extent, like promoter, record labels they don't make a lot of a lot of money and sometimes it's hard for them to actually get and redistribute money to the creator of the art like the person who's like creating yes. art or working yes what are ways that like if you want to run a label or you want to run your own party or you want to run your own art gallery how can you think about like supporting people who are working for you or with you uh yeah that's a very tricky question <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think uh Yeah, it really depends on what you want to do. There are a lot of fundings in yeah. Europe that you can apply for. But it also depends directly of which country are you from, if you are eligible to have access to, the, to these fundings. Mm -hmm. And I myself, I'm trying to get my hand in some of the, those fundings for, my, <clears throat> for some projects on my label. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's really hard because there's a lot of lobbying, there's a lot of... You know, there's a lot of politics uh, attached to it, so it's very hard. Yeah, so I don't have a straight answer for you. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of you know, a lot of different variables that yeah. can affect. Totally, it, it's a very hard problem to crack. Labels, I mean, like even when you run a label, you want to be able to pay people. Like, yeah, in my case, as I say, I could, I did myself everything, so. <laughs> you know, so basically I didn't have to pay a, a designer, didn't have to pay a social media uh, manager. I was just doing everything myself. But it's hard because when I, I released my, my EP, you know, I didn't have the money to, I, I, I have the money to press on vinyl, but I didn't have the money to do the promotion. So right. there were not really so many um, buzz in the press about my, my release, you know. And if I pay, if I earn, spend maybe five or six hundred euros in um on a promotion you know i could get a lot of bus you know so but it's also yeah it's a very hard situation to be in because you want to have the um, validation of the um, of the media but at the same time it's really hard to mm. uh, you know if you don't have you know a good pr campaign or everything so yeah yeah It, it is tough. And so for people who, who run a label or, or they are working on their own release and they don't have money as well to, do, to go with a promo agency, what could be a good, let's say, where do you think they should focus on? Where they cannot put money, they just need to rely on their own product. Yeah, I think uh, social media is really the best course of action. And also, yeah, you can send to, um, uh, you can ask Um, labels and or other artists and other people, their email address or um, the contact information, you can send those, build your own mailing list. But it's kind of annoying so, to receive a lot of promos, the unwanted promos. So I would ask their uh, art, artists first. You know, I get a lot of people, artists asking me to, before, you know, oh, I, I know I have some cool uh, music for you. They want me, you know, to 
to send it to you yes please and then i give my email address so it's very uh, it's very easy to reach artists right now you have a direct contact with them through social media so i think that's the best um thing to do yeah yeah indeed yes um and you, you yeah, thought yeah. Of- i mean don't get me wrong i think the um the pr there's a lot of people who works you know i know a lot of people who works in pr agencies and they yeah. do a, a good job but the thing is i think that it's it shouldn't be um the only way to get the media attention you know i think there's a lot of people that could you know like a lot of lazy editors that could pay more attention to what's going on you know mm. in in the scene i think there's a lot of people there just they expect in the media they just expect things should be handed to them through a pr agents agents they don't really go you know mm. after the information or what's going on in the current trend so yeah yeah for some of them, I think it's also hard because they have a shitloads of stuff of people who are sending them loads of music or new music every week. So it's hard for them to select. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, for sure. But also, it doesn't have to be your only way through a PR yeah. agency. You know, just because oh, this guy's paying, so yeah, we're gonna talk about this. Yeah, this his release. So yeah, or her release. So for me, this is the the problem for me is just when you have. Um, this laziness of not being able to search for new artists yourself as well. Yeah. Have you heard of Submit Hub? It's a platform, uh, it's a tech platform uh, run by, started by a guy that we call Jason, who we interviewed in, you know, on, you know, on this podcast. And it's basically like a platform that helps labels and artists submit music to curators, blogs. Uh, reviews premiere channels uh-huh. there's not much for tech unfortunately so there's a lot yeah. of like <laughs> yeah i i would love to like to kind of help them uh get a bit more like over the techno community because it's a problem for people who are doing underground techno to get the reach as you were saying where either they pay or they know people or they need to spend a lot of hours to send emails yeah yeah uh, yeah it's a really good idea i think they should definitely <laughs> turn this into the techno underground <laughs> underground techno community yeah for sure why not yeah <laughs> um okay so you you said something before about uh, sometimes you fail when you put stuff out like what has been one of the biggest uh, failures perhaps in your path so far and the learning oh, from that <laughs> that's a good question for me my biggest failure was to say yes to every single label that wants to release my music it was i really feel that sometimes you need to be picky you need to trust the people that you are releasing with you need to know what they are all about their the concepts what they are you know what's their vision of you know with their projects so i have a lot of sticky situations where i see releases of mine for the past that you know it was not really it was how my music was my my the music was sounding at that time but it's not something representative of my current work so and i have a lot of those stuff being re-released without my permission Mm. and i have to contact i actually had a real situation that i had to contact the actual distributor behind their backs because they are not answering my emails anymore so and, and they i managed to have them removed from 
being re-released again as a new release. And yeah, so I, this is the lesson that I learned, only to work with people that I really trust. And also that also comes to when I play back to back with DJs or, you know, collaborating with music with people. I always, always just collaborate with people that I really know personally that I know what they are about, what they are, their, their concepts, their, their vision of life, everything. It's just, yeah. I, I need to know from who I am dealing with. It makes sense. What are ways, actually, let me, let me put it in another way. What are alarm flags for you that you, you smell that something is not going to work with this team or, or label that is approaching you? Um, as I say, I don't really, I don't, I don't collaborate with labels that I don't know. So that, that's mm. the, the, the thing I just, for me is now is I don't have, I don't even engage in conversation. If someone randomly asks me for a track or it is really not, it's not even a conversation. So I don't, yeah. I don't need to look for red flags. You know, <laughs> it was really, it's very, for me, it's very orga organic the way, you know, I have a friend then, okay. Oh yeah. I have a label. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. And then we do actually, I, I have, um, uh, EP coming up in the end of the year mm -hmm. through a label called Mouth Fantasy, and she's run by a Brazilian girl called LD. Mm -hmm. She's a DJ as well, and we met maybe yeah one year ago, and we instantly clicked, you know. And she's right. a friends of my friends, and then we just get along so well. And I message her almost every day. She lives in New York, but she I, I message her almost every day on my on WhatsApp. You know, just yeah. sending out a message, and we are so close. And yeah, it, it made sense to do a, a release. You know, she has the label, and she invited me to do. And I know she she's cool, and she's not, she's not going to screw me over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that that's the thing. You know, you really need to have this um, trust in people. And relationship. Not going to, yeah. So to me, there's a red flag. You know, I don't know you. Why you? <laughs> why? Why you message me? Who are you? What yeah. you all about? I don't yeah. know you. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. And I, I wanted to to talk uh, going toward the wrap up. I wanted to talk about um, one of the platform you've been involved the most with, Pornceptual, uh, which is yes. a event series uh, was founded by Jamaica Souk, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, it was oh, founded okay. by uh, Chris Phillips. Chris, Chris Phillips. Phillips, yeah, he's a photographer from Brazil. Okay. And Raquel Fedato. Raquel is also from Brazil. And she she does the, um, the um, managing everything, you know, related to planning and all of this. And Chris is more in charge of the artistic side. He's a photographer, so he takes the photos and he makes the videos and all of this. And Honestly. then, yeah, so, and I, when I came to Pornception Project, this was in 2014, mm -hmm. it was still pretty new, the project. I think they, they had only three parties before I arrived. And yeah, I just played there, then we really clicked, they're all Brazilians, so and I'm Brazilian as well, so it really it was it really made sense. And the party was pretty new at the time. There was only, I think, 150, 200 people. 
Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so then the party starts growing, growing, growing up to the point that we have now 3,000 people wow. on parties and have a lot of showcases in um, outside of Berlin. And yeah, and then we have the resident DJs, which is me and Jamaica Sook yep. as well. She, she, I think she entered maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. And we also have Curses and the lady machine which is also brazilian as well so it kind of it kind of became a brazilian mafia basically <laughs> yeah but yeah only jamaica wow. there's american she's um yeah uh korean and then korean born and but she lives in america and also curses which is also american got it okay yeah yeah and it, so you guys played a ballroom i think yeah two years ago in august 2018 Yes. <laughs> Funny enough, like I, I was looking for the video and then it's on YouTube, but is obscured because I think people like there are people naked. Yes. And so the full streamable <laughs> version, which sits also on Bullet Room website, is hosted by Pornhub. So yes. It's like, the whole concept <laughs> is like, it, it's like, wow, you're like crazy. Yeah. That was the, the thing that with Bullet Room because I think sometimes, you know, could be. Um, a little very heteronormative the the crowd mm. in body room so we are very curious to see how it will be a conceptual in this context and this is i think the um i think it was one of the conditions you know we we, we do a body room but yeah it's gonna be how a party a conceptual party would be like and people are really willingly you know naked there they know they're being filmed and they yeah, yeah they let it loose so it was a very 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 nice experience yeah and yeah and then it got the um, the broadcast was uh it, it was on, on youtube and then the the broadcast got shut down halfway <laughs> and then the, yeah they had to upload to upload it on pornhub <laughs> it's funny wow did, did yeah, go- so i became yeah i became a porn star <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, in a way like <laughs> yeah it's something for your for your cv you can put it yeah, on for sure. For sure, it's my really it's on my release for sure. This is on, it's, I'm never gonna take uh, out of my release. <laughs> That's very cool. And what what was something that uh, you would do differently from that night, from that event? Um, I think because it's a one hour mix, so I plan every single cue points. Mm. So I plan to do something that would clock around fifty eight minutes. So I have two minutes. If I miss a cue point, I have two minutes to. Um, go uh yeah. you know so I don't, I don't go over time but the problem was that when i was playing i did a sound check but when i was playing five minutes into my set the cube button stopped stop working stopped working and that really completely threw me off no and and i kind of got distracted and then i play i kind of play the same song that i was already up and i missed the cue point so it was a little bit of messy in the beginning and yep. because of that, I got really stiff on, on camera. And also, I forgot to bring a flashlight. So I, I played some records and I couldn't. And when in the sound check, everything was lit up. So I could see perfectly. But when in the actual transmission, everything was dark with spotlights on my face. So and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the flashlight. So yeah, I would bring a flashlight with me. And I think the main thing that I would do differently is if I ever am in the situation again, I'm not going to plan every single cue point, every single right. thing. I think I'm going to leave rooms for improvisation. I'm just going to know 
the last track that I'm gonna play. Because this is how I approach my sets. I like to know where I'm going. Hmm. I, when I play a set, I'm going to point A to point B. And then Interesting. I have a, a closing track. And sometimes in the middle of my of my set, I change my mind depending on the crown. And they and then I play a different track in the end. But at least half hour before my set, I know which track is gonna how it's gonna end. So this is the only thing that I would change on my ballroom. I would be wow. a little more in the moment. Spontaneous. Spontaneous. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah, very interesting. And this is a, a good segue to another question I wanted to ask you, which is, uh, and I, I'm going to partially steal this type of question from uh, Taiga, who has uh, another podcast where he interviews like Boys Noids and these other guys. And the question that I have for you is, is let's say that there is a, the last party on earth is about to happen and they contact you and they're like, Hey Diego, do you want to play for us? <laughs> and, but before you play, before you, you, we accept you to play, we would like to know what track would you use to start your set and what person, what other DJ you would like to play after you? <laughs> um, let me see. Yeah. Cause I have a lot of different, um, because uh, usually I start my set really on an ambience and then I build up, slowly build up. So I don't have a specific opening track. I mm -hmm. always do like some blending of tracks. Yeah. So probably going to start. We can do, we can, we can do the, the last one if you want. We can do what, what yeah, last track. Yeah, because I was thinking, I, I was reading on the, on, on, the, on the script, but I was really hard for me to think of, of this. Ask me again <laughs> later. Yeah, I, I need some time to think. Yeah. Okay, no worries. Um, okay, we, we can move. If you want to, we can move on to another one, and then when it comes back to mind, we can go yes, back to, yes, to this. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we're going toward the wrap up, so I'm going to ask you very quickly, like a couple of uh, uh, rapid fire questions. And one of them is that you meet someone at a house party, and the classic question that everybody would ask is like, "Hey, where are you from? What do you do?" But this person is asking you, "What's your purpose in life?" How would you answer? Um, my purpose in life is not to be forgotten. Wow. Okay. To make an impression on people. Could be a not, could be a controversial impression. Could be good or bad, but people would remember me. Yeah. That long before I gone. That that's that's not to be forgotten. Yeah. I mean, with the fun, you're already doing a very good job with the big <laughs> fun you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And okay. And. The other question that I wanted to ask you was like, um, what is your secret weapon? Not just musically, anything in life. Um, a Brazilian charm. <laughs> Brazilian charm. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And the, basically my last question is, uh, it's a tradition of homo sound. And we ask every guest, what question would you like us to ask our next guest without knowing who they're going to be? um what they can do person actively to have a more equality on the music industry on lineups wow. what they can do personally well this is deep i love it yeah and we say when you say equality just to be specific is uh, gender equality. equality or yeah gender equality orientation sexual orientation sexual background orientation yeah yeah Wow. Ray, uh, yeah. Ethnicity, everything. Yeah. Yeah. 
Amazing. I love it. And as you might expect, there is a question from you from our previous guest, which is, uh, what is your DJ slash producer secret sauce? Um, uh, uh, what? what? What is your secret sauce for making music and playing music? My secret sauce? Yeah, sauce, yes. Like, what is your secret? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I think is um, as I say, I have a lot of references from the gay early gay sound from mm -hmm. uh, from uh, early, early um, from progressive and tribal and so i always try to nod this on my production on my on my dj set so this is my my sauce you know i would like to put this gay up a little bit and pay homage to this era you know just dramatic dramatic sound with big build ups and yeah so there's always yeah always reflects on my sets on, on my music one day on another got it okay very interesting and if you think you you have thought about a track that you would use to close your set for the last party on earth i would love to yes hear. Yeah, yeah a closing uh closing track i think i would play the time of my life you know, from Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Ah, da, na, na, na. yeah, I think. Ah, I had the time of my life when I never said. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I have on vinyl here. Wow, yes. <laughs> have you ever played it in a, in a party? I still, I, I'm uh, waiting for the, the right time for this. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not going to be the last party on earth, but like. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yes. <laughs> This has been a pleasure to meet you, to know more about oh. you and, and, and talk with you. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And for people who want to find out about your new projects, latest projects, uh, anything you want to point, point their attention to? Um, yeah, so I have uh, a remix that I made for Patrick Skoog on counter char charge label from uh, at Davenport. All oh, right, it's coming up, it's coming up soon. And also I did a back-to-back -back, um, mix uh, with him. So you follow me on social media, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, and you can uh, see there where I posted, whatever was released. Mm -hmm. I also have um, uh, EP coming up with this, in the, with this New York uh, label. Yeah. And also, yeah, and I have my album that I'm still working on it. So it's not, there's no dates for this <laughs> yet. So this is something that I still on the early stages. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know when, when it's out. We would love to <laughs> share it with the, with the community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely would do. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, very nice to meet oh. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you again for having me. Yeah. Pleasure. <laughs> and Bye -bye. thanks for everyone for listening. <laughs>